0: Well, good morning. I'm so glad you're here with us. We're ready for our fourth lesson in this series, James to the 12. And uh, it's uh, gonna cover James chapter two, verses 14 through 26. So grab your Bibles and let's dive into it. Father, please let this be a a time of uh, edification, building up the body of Christ, help us to learn from a difficult passage to hear from God and know what you meant when you had James pen these words, help us to learn. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. Well, this may be uh, the most difficult passage in all of the Bible. It's certainly a very difficult passage and one I trust that uh, will be a blessing to you today. To get us started, uh, the lesson is called Faith and Good Works. Uh, I, I saw a, a bit of a story out of uh, Peter Pan, uh, the famous uh, children's work. Wendy has fallen in love with uh, Peter, and she's going to confront him about her feelings. Listen to this. She says, Peter, what are your real feelings? And he said, feelings? What are those? Well, how do you feel? Are you, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you jealous? Are you angry? What, what are you? uh he she says are are you loving he goes loving I, I i don't know what loving is um she says i think you do peter i i think you have felt it yourself for something or for someone peter says never even the sound of it offends me Wendy reaches for peter in some sort of a loving gesture and suddenly he runs away shouting why do you have to spoil everything we can have fun don't we i tell you to fly and i taught you to fight what more could there be? And she responds and says, oh, there is just so much more. What, what else could there be? She says, well, you know, um, I don't know for sure, but it becomes clearer when you grow up. To which he responds, well, I don't wanna grow up. You can't make me, you go home and you grow up and you take your feelings with you. Peter Pan didn't wanna grow up. And I'm afraid that there are an awful lot of us Christians who have a similar mindset. We just plain don't want to grow up. There is a maturing that is supposed to take place in the life of believers, and uh, we have to embrace it. We have to, we have to say yes. We want to grow up. We want to, we want to learn these uh, these challenging things, and that's what's going to happen in this section of Scripture. Perhaps no other section of Scripture is as is as uh, difficult to understand as these verses are in James uh, chapter two, starting in verses fourteen and going down to verse number sixteen. Let me let me read them to you if I might. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food, if one of you says to them, well, go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Well, some will say, well, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. And then he goes on and gives some examples, which we'll refer to in a few moments. There's really two main questions that we've got to grapple with as we uh, try to understand this passage. Let me, let me give the, the two main questions to you. First is, is James teaching something different than Paul? Um, is Paul teaching a, a kind of faith that James is, is rejecting uh, or the other way around? Uh, I put in your notes uh, that there are some verses uh, from Paul that, that speak pretty loudly about faith. Listen to it. He says, the righteous shall live by faith in Romans 1, verse 17. The righteousness from God comes through faith, Romans 3. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness sake, Romans chapter 4. Uh, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, Romans chapter five. And then in the book of Galatians chapter two, verse 16, we're justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Now we hear those verses and now contrast those with James talking about faith. In verse 17 of our passage, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Uh, James says faith without deeds is useless in verse 20. Verse 24, a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And then verse 26, so faith without deeds is dead. Look, at first glance, it looks like that Paul and James are at odds with each other. Uh, that their understanding of faith and how it works uh, is is diametrically opposed (coughs) to each other. But that cannot be true because scripture does not violate other scripture. One of the hermeneutical principles that we have in studying God's word is that scripture interprets scripture. So when we read in 2 Timothy chapter three, Verses 16 and 17, that all scripture is, uh, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for. And then there's a whole list. We have to say all scripture is. All the letters Paul wrote and this letter from James. In 2 Peter, uh, Peter's going to ta- talk a little bit about this topic where he says, holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't tell us one thing in one place and tell us something else in another place and those be in odds with each other. This, this message that James is giving actually works with the message that Paul, that Paul has been preaching in all of his epistles. We just have to carefully examine both the context of the passage and take a look at a few key words and make sure we're defining them correctly. There is a second question that we need to address and we're gonna to get to it in just a moment. Um, and that is this uh, question about what kind of faith is this? Is is James contrasting a, a true faith and a dead faith? Is he contrasting uh, something that is dealing with our sin and saying, well, on the one hand, it deals with it appropriately, efficaciously, their sin is covered. And then in other cases, if you don't have enough faith, then, then it is not covered. Is he trying to say that he's dealing with salvation? Or in the book of James, is he dealing with a different kind of judgment in mind? Not what we would call salvific judgment or judgment having to do with our salvation, but judgment having to do with our eternal rewards. Uh, I think that, that that is exactly what James is doing. There are two different kinds of judgments in mind in this passage. Um, in 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 one sense, there is the the understanding that Paul so rightly captured in all of his epistles: the just shall live by faith. Period. Uh, Your and my salvation was accomplished the cross of Calvary. We don't earn it. We don't add to it. It was because of the the gift that God purchased with His own blood. That you and I stand saved before God Uh, our faith in that sense is focused on the judgment that's coming to pass on our sin but there is a there is a there is a judgment that has to do with our behavior has to do with how we act after our salvation and I believe that that is what James has in mind in this passage He is still talking about a judgment, but in my view, it is the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to get into that in a few moments and talk a whole lot about it. But it's a judgment that deals with the rewards for a believer, not the salvation of a sinner. So let me give you a thought or two on the whole issue of the context of the passage. Who is James writing? Let's remind ourselves. He is addressing Jewish believers, the 12 scattered tribes. He's talking about... Uh, matters that that would be in the forefront of the early church. He's talking about Christians that are grappling with with truth. They don't have a Bible sitting in their lap. They need to know how to live, how to live with other believers uh, in in the church. They need to know how much of the Old Testament law they're they're supposed to still keep. They need to know how to face persecutions. They're they're getting a if you will a a crash course in personal discipleship now you and I are aware because we can turn to the book of Romans and we can we can go through the book of Romans and pretty soon we're going to get a sense of a, of a line of logic that Paul uses about our faith he, he starts in the early chapters making absolutely an iron, ironclad legal argument that we are condemned that our sin puts us at odds with a holy and righteous God. And then he gets into the center section and, and he talks about how we were yet in our sins, Christ died for us. So our salvation came because of our faith in him. And then he, and then he gets to chapter six and, and like any thoughtful person, he pauses and says, well, if my sin is covered by what Christ did on the cross, shall I just let it rip? Shall I just sin with reckless abandon? And of course the answer, at least in the King James Version, was God forbid. No, a believer is required to mature. Once our salvation is secure because of what Christ did for us on the cross, then we move to a different evaluation. The evaluation then is, what are we doing with our lives? Our opportunities, our gifts, our abilities, our networking. It's no longer an issue having to do with our salvation that was settled at the cross. You, uh, you can lose your rewards, you can never lose your salvation. There's some terms I think that, that are helpful to, to clarify in this passage to try to understand what James is really talking about. The first one is the word save in verse number 14 of our passage. What good is it then, my brothers and sisters, If someone claims to have faith but no deeds, can such faith save them? Now, in this passage, he is not talking about being saved from our sin. The word saved there means delivered. It's the idea that we were were, uh, in a position of being useless because that's what the word dead means. Look at verse 20 and also in verse 26. In verse 20, he says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Your translation might say dead. It's not a dead faith as opposed to a true faith. This is a useless faith. This is a faith that is unprofitable. It's a believer in Jesus Christ who is acting very immaturely. They, they're not in a position to be delivered because they're being useless. They're being ineffective. There is no profit to, to their life. And then in verse number 22, a key word to take a look at, verse 22 says this, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Or he was made mature, complete, uh, able to be perfect. Not perfect like no sin, but perfect like completed. When we are... Saved or delivered uh, from uh, the impact of our behavior, we're no longer useless or dead to the Lord. We are we are helpful. There is there is something going on profitable. We are using our gifts and abilities to bring Him glory and honor. And the answer then to the passage or the question about you know do we just keep sinning, is no. Uh, we want to mature. We want to. Become who we're supposed to be because we're secure in our salvation. We can go on to be profitable in our behavior. So there's two rhetorical questions there in verse 14. The first one is, "What good is it, or what does it profit, if a man claims to have faith, but he has no deeds? What what comes of it?" Um, again, we're not talking about his salvation. His salvation was secured by Christ on the cross. We're talking about his ability to be rewarded for his good works. What profit is it there if you have no good works, if there are no good deeds? D- did you gain anything? And the answer is no. There's nothing be- beneficial going on because you didn't get with the program. And the second rhetorical question <clears throat> right in that verse it says, can such faith save them? Again, save, deliver them. Deliver them from immaturity. Can faith without good works deliver a man or a woman to a place of maturity? And the answer is no. Without good works, our lives are not profitable. Could we get saved and do nothing and still be saved? Yes. Yes because my salvation is rooted in Jesus and what he did. But is that God's plan for the believers? No. The judgment that's in mind by John or by James here is not about sin, but it's the judgment of, of our behavior. How are we uh, using what God is entrusted to us? And I think where, where, where James is headed is to the judgment seat of Christ, also known as the Bema seat. So I want you to turn to some passages in your Bible. The first one, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter th- three, 1 Corinthians chapter three, <clears throat> and listen to this description of the Bemis Seat. Actually, before I, before I do that, let's talk about where this term came from. Came from. So the Bema Seat uh, in, in the Roman world, or in the Greek world rather, had to do with a, a set of games, much like Olympics. They might be held regionally. They might be held uh, at at a uh, local level as well as a as a uh, centralized uh, set of games. But these games would happen uh, mostly running. But so there were some other things involved. And uh, a, a village, a, a small town, would enter in a, a a member of their community into the to the race or to the games. And when they won, they they would sit before the the ruler who, who sat on a, a Bema seat, a seat of judgment. The winners would come forward and receive their rewards. Sometimes their rewards were financial. Um, they wouldn't have to work anymore. They represented their community so well, they don't, they don't have to work anymore. Sometimes the rewards were more tangible in terms of money or a privilege. And, and often it, uh, a crown accompanied it, a crown made out of some sort of uh, vine or leaves. And they would wear the crown to signify that they had been to the bema seat, the judgment, the judgment of how well they had done their 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 deeds, and receive some rewards for it. Now, in First Corinthians chapter three, Paul's talking about that. He says, um, if anyone is uh, is uh, building a foundation, it's going to have either gold, silver, co- uh, costly stones, or Wood, hay, and stu- a straw or stubble. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will, twist the- will test the quality of each person's work. Um, and so, so what happens is the person's life, in the form of, of of their deeds, their good works, falls into two categories: the the part that's worth something, gold, silver, precious. Uh, jewels or wood, hay, and stubble. It's pressed into a fire and what doesn't burn up has great value. What burns up is gone and there's no reward for it because it had no value. The Bema Seat was a place to reward value, to reward effort, to give uh, a, a response to someone who had appropriately uh, worked towards that goal. Now, the Bema Seat for the believers uh, takes place, I believe, right after the rapture. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Bible talks about us being caught up into the air and and meeting the Lord there. On earth, there's going to be a seven-year tribulation. First three and a half years are bad, last three and a half are really bad. The believers who have been caught up into the air, they are going to have two events with God before he comes back and stomps his foot on the on the Mount of Olives. The first one is the judgment seat of Christ. And the second event is the marriage supper of the lamb. So we have the award ceremony first and then the great celebration. The award ceremony is the behemoth seat. It's an opportunity for Christ to call each of us forward to review what we what we did in relationship to what he gave us. Now, this is not a judgment of our sin. Our sin was handled at the cross. It's done, it's gone. This is not a videotape showing uh, all our indiscretions to anyone and everyone. This is only an opportunity for that which was done in the name of Christ in the life of a maturing believer to receive a reward for that. Now in our culture, sometimes we like to think uh, negatively about rewards. I mean, we think about our kids and we say we'd like them to do it without having to do it just for a reward. But there's nothing wrong with wanting to please our master. And God has given us ample opportunity to grow and mature and find ways to, to, to please him. And that's what is being discussed at, at, this, uh, at, the, at the judgment seat of Christ. We give an account of our service. Romans chapter 14 verse 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And, and it's our goal to please him. We're standing before him in the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him. Second Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. So our works are going to be uh, tested by fire. And what, what comes out of the fire, the gold, the silver, and the precious jewels, those become rewards for us. We want to hear the words, uh, well done. Thou good and faithful servant. We want that. Now, we don't want it so as to uh, consume it on ourselves. And and if you're wondering about that, turning your Bibles to Revelation chapter four, just a few chapters over from where we are in James. In chapter four, we get a, a, a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. And in that setting, we're going to see what happens to those crowns Revelation chapter 4 in verse number 10. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, o our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. It's not self-consumed. It's a way for us to have just a, a, a small thing To turn and lay at the feet of Jesus, the crown that we might receive at the judgment seat of Christ for the works that we've done in his name, now give us some tangible way to say back to God, thank you so very much for everything that you gave me. So the question that comes up and what James is addressing here is what are we doing in our life with those gifts, spiritual gifts, personal gifts, abilities, our talents our opportunities, our networking, our friendships. Is our faith profitable? Is it is it creating uh, good works that can be seen by those that are in our lives? Now, I, I read only a portion uh, a moment ago of our passage. I want to go back to, to James chapter 2 and pick it up in about verse number oh, 15 or so. Um now maybe just a little bit later he says uh, show me your faith in verse number 18 and I will show you my faith by my show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds verse 19 you believe there is one God good but even the demons believe that and shudder. he's gonna give us three examples of people who believe and and what the connection is between their belief and their works the first one, it, it, the example between faith and action, is about the about the demons. He said they believe, but certainly Satan's crowd is not offering up works and opportunities for for good deeds to serve God. They're just giving mental assent to Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, I know who God is. I know how this works. That's not an example of faith uh, being. Uh, counted for something it's just an example of, of empty faith and then he moves on to Abraham. he says in verses 21 22 23 or so that A- Abraham is is demonstrating his faith as he as he prepares to offer up Isaac. Now that story is in Genesis 22 and it's repeated in part in, in Hebrews chapter 11 but but what's being said to us is the action that he does. I think when he took his knife up and he was ready to plunge it into his son, his only son, by faith, because he was told to do so, it's at that moment that, it, that the Bible says it was credited to him for righteousness. I think the knife had to come up, and that was a display of his faith. You and I display our faith by the, the way we serve him, the activities of our lives, the kind of language we use. Um, The kind of support we give to people around us, in our families, and in our workplaces, those, what what the Bible calls good deeds, are what reflect the the commitment of the faith in our hearts. And then the second example he gives, or the third one, rather, is Rahab. And Rahab's story appears in Joshua, chapter 2. They were just coming into the Promised Land. First city they hit was Jericho. He wanted to spy it out before they attack. And, and the spies were coming into town and if they got caught, it would have been all over. Rahab hid them so that they wouldn't get killed. And when they were leaving town, they told her, hey, we're gonna come back, we're gonna attack the city. Here's a, here's a red cord. <clears throat> Once you take this red cord hanging out your window, when we get there, we'll know where you are, we'll, we'll honor your faith and we won't destroy you and your family if they're there with the red cord. She had the faith to understand what they said. She had to display it. She had to go one more step. She had to get the cord out and hang it from the window. And she's an example. James is saying that, that faith without corresponding deeds is dead, not dead like dead faith, dead in a salvation context, but dead as in unprofitable you and i have a faith in jesus christ and what he did when he ripped the the curtain in the holy of holies he ripped it from the top to the bottom to say it was all on me i'm making it possible for you to come in and be in the presence of almighty holy god i am taking on uh your sin and i am imputing to you my righteousness your faith uh, is, is bound up in what I did. And on that basis, there is salvation. But moving forward, then you are now a believer. You are now one of my kids. Now you need to act like it. Now I need to see you acting out in deeds and words and actions. And those things will show me that you're not dead, that you're not unprofitable. Well, at the end of every lesson, I always ask you the question, so what? The so what here is our salvation was not meant to be merely fire insurance. Get us out of hell. Make sure that we can spend eternity with God. Get us a passport. We show the passport. It doesn't matter how we live. That's not true. Even in Romans, the answer was no, we can't live like that. We have to respond. To what Christ has done for us. And, and 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 this faith that we're talking about today, that James is talking about, is a faith that reflects the relationship we have with the Lord. We believe and it shows. We believe and it and it's a response. Because my faith is in Jesus Christ, I, I have some things to do. Faith for James is not just a set of beliefs not just a creed, not just something that, that could show up on some sort of a theological pop quiz on doctrine. No, he put his faith and trust in Jesus, his half brother, but he, but he said, now come on, don't stop there. Don't be like Peter Pan and say, I don't wanna grow up. Take it the next step, the next level, the next, the next grade, if you will, the next opportunity we need to follow Christ in such a manner that other people can see clearly our Christ-like distinctives. So the so what is, take a moment, review. What is your, what is your language like? If somebody overheard you talking to your children or your spouse or are in your car, what, what are they going to hear? Again, we're not looking here for perfection. We're looking for maturing. Uh, what about your activities? I've always said, if I took your calendar and your checkbook, people don't use checkbooks anymore, I know, but if I had access to that, the, those two pieces of information, what your calendar is like and how you spend your money, I can tell a lot, probably most everything, about your life. Are those the things that reflect the good deeds that James James's James is saying is so important for our lives to be profitable what about our social media if I flip through your social media what what am I seeing what are you what are you captured in what was important to you our relationships what are they rooted in is there service to others on behalf of our relationship with King Jesus we we are never too old to grow up When we give an account for our good works, we're answering questions like, you know, did I live for God's glory or did I live for myself? Um, How did I spend my time? How did I use my money? Was I faithful in my prayer life? Did I genuinely care for other people? Or did I always put myself at the center of the universe? Um... The great preacher Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon once said that the grace that does not change my life will not save my soul. He's, he's saying there, there need to be some evidence. I need to grow up. My faith can't be dead, quote unquote. It can't be unprofitable. I need to mature and grow in every regard. I'm told that sharks are an amazing animal, that if you catch one out in the ocean when they're little, yo size, and put them in a small aquarium, they'll never outgrow the aquarium. They'll, they'll mature inside of them, the organs will develop and all that, but in miniature, because you've confined them to that small aquarium, they'll never get any bigger. It's, it's kind of like that for Christians. We might be growing older in terms of chronology we're not, we're not having an impact. There are a lot of baby sharks and baby Christians running around, not in a position to effectively make a mark for Christ. Uh, Ruth Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's uh, wife, one day came home from uh, wherever she was, drove up to the, the house there, and I think it's in North Carolina, and she said, uh, I, there was a lot of construction on the way home and I saw some interesting signs. And one of them said, end of construction. And then the next sign said, thank you for your patience. End of construction, thank you for your patience. And she asked for that to be put on her tombstone. And I'm told that that's exactly what's on Ruth Graham's tombstone. I love that. It's the end of the construction. And at that point, you want to look out to everyone and say, hey, thank you for your patience. But there was construction. There was growth. There was maturity. There was there was things going on. We weren't shaking our fists saying, I won't grow up. We were saying, Lord, I want. On that day when, when we stand before you at the Bema Seat, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want a crown or two, so I may lay them at your feet. I want to mature and grow up. And that's what James is talking about. Well, thanks for coming, guys. Thanks for listening. It would have been no fun without you. God bless you.